Well, my first introduction to Impact was my now wife, Susan, um, was invited to come play. I think it was two years ago, Mother's Day. Ryder had gotten a hold of her and asked her if she would like to come and, and play with the band, uh, had a special event going on. Um, he turned to me after and he just said, this just feels like home. And, um, and I agreed. I remember the first message that Jason gave that we really resonated with and talked about, and it was about marriage and relationships. And we both talked about that on the way home and said, that's the kind of church that we want to be involved with because that's how we want our marriage to be once we get married. If that's the way Impact feels and how things are done, then that's where we need to be. Every week, no matter what the sermon is on, I feel like I learned something that I can apply to my life, and I feel like I'm healed, and um, so it's, you know, a really big part of my life. One of the first things I noticed with Susan, uh, the change, would be her opening up more. She has a guarded heart, and she uh, has been hurt a lot over the years. Um, and so her not um, expressing things uh, was tough. Playing violin, it's been something that's, you know, a release for me and something that, you know, I feel like I can express myself, you know, how I, um, how I feel inside in a way that I couldn't verbally. Um, it's always been a way to connect with people on a different level, but it's always been extra special for me to um, play where I feel like I'm directly giving glory to God. I always feel like I want to live my life for Him. But when I'm playing songs that are directly worshiping Him, it's something that feels really beautiful to me because it feels like I'm able to, just like I can communicate in different ways with people, with music. When I'm playing worship songs, it feels like I am just giving my heart and my thanks back to Him. I would notice her start singing the songs while she was up there. And I've watched her play a lot of shows. She doesn't sing. She doesn't remember words, it's melody. Everything is sound, it's music. That's what she connects to, not words. So to see her actually singing the words, not just playing, I know it really meant something to her when that part of it comes into play. This place has been healing to me because for a couple different reasons. One, when I'm here, music has always been able to reach me and heal me. and. Um, some of the words that we sing, whether it's um, no longer a slave to fear. Fear is always something I've had to, you know, that I've dealt with because I've been in a lot of scary situations. So it's reinforcing that God is my strength and my protector. But um, I also feel like there's this church of people that love everyone in here. And you're in this circle of love where, whether it's in the small group or whether it's here, or whether it's on the worship team, it feels like it's an extension of God's love and everyone is loving each other and coming around, you know, around each other. Well, my dream for my marriage is that we both grow to get to know Christ together because we've both been married several times before and it hasn't worked. And the one common denominator of the whole thing, because it's still Susan and it's still me, is that we did not have Christ as our base. And now that we've found Christ, we have so much confidence now that this can work because it's in Christ.
And when you have that, and, and you're, that's where you're both going to, and that's your goal, both of you, you're going there, you can't lose. It's, it's very exciting to me um, how the church has grown since even before I came. And what I love about it, though, is that it's growing, but it's also so personal. I feel like the world and Lowell and, you know, we're from Greenville area, you know, everyone needs a place like this. So the fact that there is a place like this that has been so important in my life and everyone's life, it's just exciting to think as the church grows, you know, there's more people that each of us can reach. Well, I see the necessity for impact to grow because there's a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus yet. There's a lot of people out there who aren't going to church, who need a place like this, like I did. I was lost for 30 years. So there's a lot more people, there's a lot more Dennis's and Susan's out there who need a home. And Impact needs to grow so that we, we're there for them, that we can accept them in and we can help them. So I'm excited for the expansion. I'm excited for this church to reach out to the community and invite more people in, and for us, to go out and bring more people in and, and help them come to know Jesus. And I'm just a story junkie. I love people's stories. And I think the two words that just grab me is healing and freedom. Like when I hear people just share about being rescued or delivered or freed or healed. Like, I know the world needs that so badly. And all of us in this room on a regular basis need that so badly. I mean, we get so beat up and so battered and wounded. And just to, to see what God has done in their life and to hear that story that they found just a home uh, is powerful. Uh, Dennis was in the, the last service over at the campus and just being able to look at them and and no, they, uh, they've been married, both of them, several times. And, and I want you to know here, if you just feel like you're damaged goods, there's just no such thing. There's just no such thing. You know, one man's tra trash is another man's treasure. And I really feel like that applies to Christ, man. You might feel like trash, but you are treasure to God. And he can pick up the pieces in your life and put you back together. And, and if you're young enough and you're like, well, I haven't, I haven't trashed my life yet, you wait, someday you're going to get trashed <laughs> by someone else or you're going to trash yourself. And I want you to know you're never going to outrun the long arm of the Lord. He will always be coming after you. And I don't care if you come to him as the crow flies or take the scenic route to Jesus. Uh, the point is, is that Jesus is going to find you and uh, you're going to find him. And in this story, it's just, it's powerful to me because Dennis was at age 16, disfellowshipped from his church. And I never even heard of that word before he shared it, and he just turned his heart off to God. And there was such a hatred and a coldness and a hardness of his heart until he came to our church a couple years ago and began to give God a second chance. But what he didn't realize is God was giving him a second chance. And uh, it's just been powerful to watch uh, he and Susan grow together. And Susan, she was so scared. She would sit in the back. And uh, Dennis shared even the story. It didn't get on the video. But the first time, he loved to sit in the front. But she couldn't sit in the front because of abuse that had happened in her life and fear um, and paranoia. Uh, because 
people behind her just didn't settle well with her. And she remembers the first time she was in the second row and she didn't think about the people behind her in the room because God had healed her and freed her. And for those of you that have gone through abuse in this place, maybe you know exactly what that feels like. Always looking over your shoulder, always feeling like you're sort of under attack and there's something to be afraid of. And I want you to know you don't have to be afraid here. We're all messed up. We're all messed up, okay? I just, uh, it's powerful because we took that video a year ago coming into the campaign. And uh, at that time, who would have known that um, Susan's daughter would have tragically uh, taken her life? And uh, heroin, man. It's, uh, it's in Lowell. It's in Greenville. It's come and it's taken our kids out. Anybody hate heroin? <laughs> Anybody hate what some of those drugs, the epidemic's doing? I'm telling you, it took her, her baby girl. And I remember talking to her on the phone on my back deck and just hearing her heart and how she was growing close to Christ and connecting her to Amina. I don't know if you remember that, but um, connected her to you and said, I'm going to leave the conversation so you girls can talk. And, and her heart was coming alive, but she had so much hurt. And um, I just, uh, I never use the phrase, can I just, I know this is a diversion, but it comes to my mind when people say the phrase like, suicide is so selfish. Can we just not say that anymore? Like, it just shows how oblivious we are to the torture that a person's actually going through, that the option of not living actually feels more freeing than living. And if you, if you like being alive, more power to you, but let's just not like um, demonize people that have already been demonized. You know what I'm saying? Like in one sense, okay, it's selfish because you're leaving a bunch of people behind that love you, but I don't think that's what's going through their mind is a motivation of a selfish, prideful, narcissistic act. They'd feel like the walls are closing in and it couldn't get any darker. I want you to know, I know what that feels like. I've never been on the brink of suicide, but I call it pastoral suicide. I just want to go to heaven on some days. It's just another way of saying it that sounds better than you can say in church without getting excommunicated. I just... This whole season we're in, um, it's nostalgic for me because a year ago we, we started Through the Roof and uh, we're closing in, we're in week 51 and we're coming into week 52 and for some of you, it, I'm not sure what this year's been like, but it's been miraculous to see all that God has done, um, but we're not done. That's what has hit me recently, all that God has done, we're not done. We're so close and yet we're not. Um, completed. It's not complete. We got another week. And I think God's going to move big time in the next week in all of our hearts. And I think God's going to just get a kick out of what he sees happening down in Lowell. I've, uh, I've never been pregnant, uh, but uh, I, I've, wa- I've watched uh, this happen a couple times with my wife. It's an amazing thing. 
And I know I'm walking where angels fear to tread, but I've heard a lot of women talk about, I just want a natural birth and a natural birth. And some people are like, I don't care about a natural birth. But then some people are natural birth enthusiasts and purists. And so it's all about a natural birth. And so some are like, I'll take the Pitocin. Give me the Pitocin. Give me the epidural. Give me the episiotomy. And if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. I don't care. Just I want this baby out with safe passage. And I don't know if that's natural, but it's, it's not a C-section, if it gets to a point, sort of a, a life or death situation, the doctor will break into the mother's womb and reap the child out of the womb. That feels like an alien movie or something, but it's like they will break in and it is, it is gruesome, but when it's life or death, you, you just aren't caring about like how bloody or how gory it is. You're, you're, you're talking about salvation. And my buddy was uh, down in, in Ohio, my accountability partner, for eight years in OBGYN. And that was exciting. And I remember one day, I, I was always into people's lives. When I become friends with people, I'm like, I want to be on your turf. I want to, what do you do? Like, what, can I come over to where you work and see where you work and what it's like so I can identify? And so I told him one day, I'm like, I'd like to, you know, be on your turf and see what you do. And he's like, I have an OBGYN. Um, <laughs> You cannot come in and, and come to my factory or my you know, place of employment. That would be weird. And it came to my mind, have you, C-section, I'd love to see you do a C-section to do surgery. And he's like, well, I'll ask different couples if they'd be comfortable with my pastor coming in and watching them get a C-section. And he found a couple that was like, yeah, we're down with that. That's cool. If he wants to come in, it was like their fourth child. By then, you don't care. Um, and so at the fourth child, it's like, you can come in. So I remember getting scrubs on and having, you know, I was like a little doctor in there. And um, I watched my buddy, my accountability partner, just cut through the abdomen and then cut through the uterus very tenderly once you got to the uterus with the scalpel. And then this baby came out and it was miraculous. And I was awestruck by this procedure and grateful that when there's no other option and things have gotten to the place where it's life or death, doctors will stop at nothing to save that baby and to save that mom. Because it used to be death by childbirth, either the child or the mom dies, sometimes both. And I was thinking about that when I was thinking about through the roof, it was more that was through the uterus or through the abdomen, but one is breaking someone out and the other is breaking someone in, but I was thinking about this through the roof concept, this, this first Caesarean section of a house in order to do something that was not natural and not normal in order for God to do something supernatural. And I've noticed in life as a human being, now that I've been alive for 43 years, that when people start doing unnatural, abnormal things, God starts doing supernatural things. When they, when they step outside of the, the known boundary, when they leave like the sort of the common denominator that everybody functions by, when they, they sort of are doing things out of the box or out of the church construct that is like, we've always done it that way. God starts showing up like he's just chomping at the bit for someone to step out in faith and do something exciting. And in Mark chapter two, we're just gonna fly by this, fly over this, and capture this for those of you that weren't here. We actually looked at it for five weeks straight, Mark chapter 2. And I just want to, you know, go into this last part of the sacrificial giving in the, in the capital campaign, sort of reminding ourselves of the spirit 
that we had last year. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four. Sometimes you can bring people to church. Sometimes you've got to carry them here. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it with pickaxes and, and shovels and, and hoes and everything else. A hoe is an instrument you use in a garden. And they lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw the faith of the four friends, he forgave the sins of the man. That's like amazing. That's atonement. That's my life becomes sort of the redemptive bridge to give this guy a chance at salvation. And I, I love that passage. I, I found some pictures of guys breaking through the roof and this is the kind of structure it would have been all the debris would have been falling on top of jesus all the thatch all the you know it wouldn't have been cement it would have been mud that was holding it together this sort of shreds of stuff falling in him what a disruption of church that day that was so surprising and so exciting for jesus i never hear him in this story saying you're just messing everything up and he's like i love messy stuff I love when messy things happen because people are trying to be creative about saving people. Bring on the mess. And so he's lowered down to Jesus' feet. We talked about this for five weeks and we're inspired by the lengths that these four friends would go to to reach just one more and do whatever it took in order for him to get to Jesus. I was thinking about the theology and the theologistics of reaching people. Theologistics isn't a word, but the logistics of God. Because there are logistics. You just don't pray and God does it. Like people have to do things. And anytime I make up a word, what's cool is if it's not in the actual dictionary, it's always in the urban dictionary. It's so I find validation in that. The theology of, uh, and theologistics of reaching people, the first seven are actually all on us. And then the eighth is something only God can do. The first one is they gathered in such large numbers. That's movement. That's movement. It's amazing what's happening in Little Lowell as people gather in large numbers out in a town that's 4,200 people. And what's amazing is when I say, who would have ever guessed? I meet people, and I just met one this morning, that were here when it was Lowell Wesleyan Church and it was dying, and they were doing prayer walks around this property praying for God to do something amazing 30, 40, 50 years ago. And Kathy Dykstra was one of them. Your name came up. You, the rabble rouser in all of eternal, the heavenlies, you were messing up the ecosystem of the heavenlies and the unseen world. And who would have ever thought that it had died almost like Jesus gone into the grave and it was resurrected and people are gathering in large numbers. Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought? God thought. Just needed some people to keep praying and thinking. It goes on, it says, but there was no room left. And so what you have is a crowding issue. 
There's no room left. It's, it's packed to the gills. It's standing room only. And then you have this paralyzed man, and I'm just going to call that the mission because that's what it is around here. This is not the mission. The objective is not to get a large group of people in a glorified pole barn all in, in, in one accord for an hour and 15 minutes a week. The mission is the people that aren't here. And reminding the people that are here of the people that aren't here that need a, somebody to stop by the side of the road and say, hey, something's going on over here and I want to get you over there. That's the mission. What I love about Jesus, and, and I, I hope it's our spirit around here, is we don't care only because it's a crowd. And if it's not a crowd, we don't care is we care about every character in the plot and we see every story and we feel every touch of the hem of the garment and every raised hand. That's the spirit we want to be no matter how big we get. And we have eyes to see that. He's carried by four men. I call this missionaries. And I know Ryan talked about, hey, we have a membership class. I just don't like the word members very much because... What it brings up to me is like we're inside this sort of club and we're apart and we have a rite of passage and we've got rites that you don't have and we're in. And I just like to think of ourselves as missionaries who carry the mission of God in the church everywhere they go. Missionaries are the ones that it's like, I love that it's standing room only. It's so infectious. Uh, so many cool things are happening in that place. I'm thinking about the dude over here because I have a missionary mindset. I'm not distracted by the enthusiasm of what's going on over here, that it's packed to the gills. I'm actually thinking about the guy who can't get there. Yeah. Goes on and says he could not get to Jesus. And that happens in every church. There's always going to be barriers. There's always going to be constraints. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be obstructions along the way. There have been an impact and there will continue to be. But there's always got to be people who are pioneers who are striking camp, who are thinking strategically, who are trying to execute things and be creative about their contribution and creative about the vision of how to get around or underneath or over that obstruction, that, that resistance. And you've got these barriers and then you've got these guys that made an opening in the roof by digging through it. And I couldn't think of any other word than crazy. One of the things that's always drawn me to this body and keeps my heart bound to this body is that we're crazy. I, I think sometimes we underestimate when we look at the Bible how crazy these people were. In fact, Paul said, and I'm, I'm going to go into the Jason files. I think it's in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, verse 12, somewhere in there, verse 13, I think it is. Paul said, if I'm out of my mind, it's for the sake of God. If I'm of my right mind, it's for you. Because I'm convinced that one died for all, and so all died. It's, it's just like, if I'm out of my mind, it's for the sake of God. And they're crazy enough to be like, you know what? Standing room only, there's no more room. Oh, you, you think? Well, we're thinking there is. And I love that because that means there's a place for me in the body of Christ because I was a Dennis the Menace growing up. That was my nickname around the neighborhood. I always was doing what I call creative things that I got in trouble for because they were wrong most of the time. 
I didn't follow the rules. But there are some of you here that you're not a rule follower. You're a trailblazer. And you learn to channel things away from rebellion and toward revolution. And God said, I'm going to redeem that part of you. Because I can imagine being the guy on that roof just saying, uh, let's not talk ourselves out of this with what ifs and if onlys. Let's just do it and see what happens. Hmm. And Jesus saw their faith, which means he saw their craziness. He saw their sacrifice. He saw the lengths that they would go to. They kept attempting the unreasonable and the unconventional. And uh, I think God sees that and he's like, that's faith. That shows a strength of passion. Your body of work shows a strength of passion that shows you're ignited by the mission. And he saw their faith and he said, son, your, your sins are forgiven and it's their faith. This to me, this whole campaign through the roof and raising funds and, and a building, it's not a building campaign to me, it's a people campaign. It's just crowdsourcing something for the ultimate project and vision of reaching each one. And some may say, well, it's all about the, the building, it seems. You know, the church isn't the building, it's people, and the building seems to be a distraction. I'm thinking, what if the building isn't creating distraction, but it's like in this story, creating disruption, and that dr- disruption is getting in the way of the gospel, Jesus getting to people, or people getting to Jesus, and what are we going to do logistically about that to take care of it and to fix it? Who's going to think? about the logistics. When I hear, well, it just seems like all you care about is the building, in my mind, I think this. When the building becomes the barrier to people encountering Christ, I begin to care about building issues, and I'm not a builder. I don't know nothing about construction. But I start caring about construction at that point because when construction becomes the obstruction to people hearing the word, I begin to care about construction constraints. When John was asking two weeks ago, and it was forced community, where he's like, what would you stay up late into the night talking about, just trying to get at our passion? And I could tell a lot of guys, like, nothing. I mean, I, I want to go to bed at 9.30 at night, you know? But I remember he talked, and I turned to this guy that was next to me, and I didn't have to think long, and building buildings didn't come out of my mouth fundraising didn't come out of my mouth capital campaigns did not come out of my mouth i assure you i the the word campaign has the word pain in it (laughs) okay so but what did come out of my mouth is changed lives that that wakes me up in the morning that keeps me up at night it's just like people that are being rescued or have a need for someone to cross over into their world and to rest that just that messes with me that just keeps me on my toes it gives me something to shoot for and stay alive for i mean we have our life group tonight and it's eight o'clock on sunday nights because the ones that we meet with they can't get there until that late and so it goes into the night we put our boys down and we start and typically i'm a limp noodle i am like dead to the world at that time on sunday night And so a lot of times I'll be going into the group and I will be so tired, but we will begin talking and it's happened the last couple weeks, life-changing conversations taking place 
And I'm telling you, I snap awake and I am wide awake like the Spirit sends off a siren. And I could just talk, talk, and talk when God's getting down into the heart of people and sort of messing with their categories and changing their story, how they've told it and how he's now telling it to them. That's why I love this story. In one sense, it's about the burgeoning crowds and that issue, but it's also about the guy on the sidelines, the next one. The, the church, it's, it's about everyone, and it's about everyone. It's about everyone, and it's about everyone in this place. And whether we like it or not, because we love people here at Impact, we love projects, and it's not either or. We have projects because we want to save people. We're not building this church like build it and they will come, field of dreams. It's like they're coming, so we need to build it. We need to build it. And uh, I, I like that rather than let's build a really sexy building and maybe that will be the thing that attracts people. It's like God is already attracting people. Jesus is attracting people. You are attracting people. Your lives, the body of Christ is attracting people. We don't need a sexy building to attract people. The gospel is compelling enough. It's awesome. God's awesome. And that draws people in. So we just got to accommodate God. We have to make room for God to move. That's all we got to do. That's on us. God can't do that. He can only draw people. But we've got to create room for him. And so my heart went to this story in this Old, Old Testament that I've always loved because of the leadership component and this project component and this moving a group of people toward what seems to be an unreasonable goal. That's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days in Nehemiah. That's like a big deal. The walls were like ransacked, they were in ruins, and he, he just gathered the people together and they, they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other and he was screaming out Braveheart sort of gladiator quotes to him like, fight for your, your sons, your brothers, your, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes, you know, and ah, he's screaming out, it's, it's so awesome. But it comes to... The, the day before the finish line where you sort of hit the wall and there's this assault of the enemy in the mind and the attack is on and it's very vicious once you get to the end. It's like a marathon where you hit the wall and you're commanding your legs to just throw themselves out in front of your torso. And I don't underestimate that we're at the point where we're so close to the finish line that there's some of us that are starting to, to, to lose heart. Or our minds are like, I don't care. And we're like Swiss cheese and it all kind of comes in and, and, and just moves out. We've got bigger things to think about. Well, I just want you to know that, that you might have huge things to think about, but I want to just allow God to speak into our hearts and say, it's a, people are a big deal to me and I want them to be reached. So could you please put that in the queue? And in Nehemiah chapter six, they got this sort of compelling campaign going on. And I just want us to glean some truth and some tenacity out of the story coming down the home stretch into next week. Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 1, when the word came to Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and that was, these were the obstructionists, the naysayers that had been like nipping at their heels the whole way through. 
and the rest of our enemies that we had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. And then there's a hyphen. Though up to that time, we had not set the doors and the gates. And there's another hyphen. That's, that actually is like, what? Uh, Sam Ballot and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together at a pub down in a village in the plain of Ono, right? Come on, let's just have a conversation together. Let me just sort of take you away from the project and let's just like have a couple beers and talk about life. And it's almost like if you can't beat them, join them. Like the attack hasn't been working. The, the insults haven't been working. All the obnoxious tactics we've used to stall the project haven't worked. Why don't we just come and have a civil conversation? What I love about this passage, I'm looking at it, and I love where there's like those hyphens where it's like, and the walls were built and not a gap was left in them other than the 11 gates that didn't have doors hung in them yet. And to me, I'm like, that's 11 huge gaps. Because to me, and this is the title of the message, gates are gaps. And we can say, oh, we're done. We've been, we aren't done yet. We got to hang the gates because the gates are gaps. I don't know about you. When I moved into my home, if there's no doors or windows, that's just glorified camping. I'm still no safer. The elements are not out there, and I'm in here. you got to put doors and windows. Those are some gaps. No, I mean, we did it. We're done. You're not done. They're not done here. They're almost done. And I want to celebrate that we've come a long way, but we have not come all the way. And I want to go all the way. I want our hearts to go all the way. I'm into running right now, and so runners get me. When I say this, man, there are certain times you'll see that mailbox and you're like, your brain just keeps telling you, Tobiah and Geshem and Sambala inside of my head, just stop there and walk the rest of the way at that mailbox. And then you run by the mailbox and the mailbox is like, hey, hey, don't, 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 it's gone. It's like, then you see a big tree and the big tree's like, I'm a big tree. You can stop. You've done a great job. You, you even got out here. Do you know how many people don't run at all? You know, just give yourself some credit. Why don't you give yourself a Skittle when you get home? Blah, 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 blah. Reward yourself with a walk. And no, I fight through that. And I fight through the next one. And there's a horse. Oh, and, then, and there's a tree. And oh, look at the beautiful sunset. Keep running to the end. It's crazy. When you're running, you are literally assaulted in your mind to stop every 10 steps. And you have to keep telling your mind, no, no. When you are invited to go to oh no, you say oh no. I don't know if you've got this in your life, and this isn't just campaign and fundraising and, and church projects and initiatives. We are always invited to go to the valley of oh no, and you just got to say oh no. I, I love the next verse. He said, they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop? While I leave it to go down to you, nimbus, nims, numbskulls, imbeciles, whatever, nimbuskulls, urban dictionary. Uh, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. That's resolve. I love that. They keep pestering me with the same assaulting voice, and I'm like, same answer, same answer, same answer, same answer. I'm not going to the Valley of Ono. I know, it's great craft beer. Not going to that pub with you. Sorry not having that conversation. I know where that's going. 
I have a great project. Why should I stop an oh yes is what I call a great project. If you don't have a great oh yes, you will always be susceptible to an oh no. And the oh yes to me is the great dream of God and the great project of God. Because when I see in this passage, they were scheming. There is scheming and there is dreaming. Dreaming to me is trying to start something that doesn't exist. Scheming is trying to stop something from happening. Hmm. And there are the schemes of Satan and the dreams of God, and they are always warring against each other. Dreams and schemes are always in just brutal opposition to each other. Goes on, says, then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aid with me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem, you know, one of the guys in our peanut gallery says it's true, so it must be, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. I love the word plotting because it's actually taking something and questioning the motives of Nehemiah and why he's doing it. He's like, no, we're just building something. We're not plotting. We have no agenda. Don't tell me, schemer, that I'm a schemer. I'm dreaming and I'm following after God. We're just building. You can call it plotting. I call it planning. He says, moreover, according to these reports about you that have heard that you want to become king, and even if appointed prophets are ready to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah, and his name is Nehemiah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I'm trying actually to help you. Uh, I'm, I'm here to help you to not die because it's being spread around, all these opinions, all these conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are crazy. You know how we in our world, we are so susceptible to anxiety being something marketing uses to make us make stupid purchases. Like literally the gas prices will go up not because we don't have enough oil or we got too many barrels. It's just whether we're anxious tomorrow because something happened. Anxiety, it's played off of in our world. In conspiracy theories, we, we are just so susceptible. I love this leader saying something 3,000 years ago that is right as rain today. In verse 8, he says this. Then I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making up out of your head. It's something to tell your wife tomorrow. Or your husband. Or your boss. Or your kids. Or yourself. Because we are these little factories that make up stuff in our heads all day long. And it could be the stuff that other people are making up in their head and telling us and inserting into our brains that we're believing or stuff that we're making up in our heads. See, I was in the Valley of Ono last night at three in the morning. It had nothing to do with this message or the campaign or any pressure. I was hearing and I woke up and for an hour and a half from three o'clock out on the couch till 4.30, I was battling the thought, you're a bad dad. Last night. And some of it was, I think it started with Cammie was home from college and I'm just so busy doing stuff around the church on the weekend. What a terrible time for her to come home and I'm not able to be with her and I just want to be with her. And then I don't feel like I'm a good dad to any of my girls and then my boys and just, and you know what I did this morning? I just looked in, in the shower, I was taking a shower and I said, I'm a good dad. Amen. I made that up in my head last night. You made that up about me. That's not true. I just shouted it down. Amen. 
Verse 9, they're trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be what? Completed. See, that's the whole thing. Are you going to complete it? Are you going to get near completion but not complete it? Are you going to get close to the finish line and not finish? And he prayed what Rick Warren called a breath prayer, now strengthen my hands. This idea, just press through it. Follow through with a project. Just do it. Make a declaration and decide. I was reading the other day that a lot of anxiety can be assuaged if you just make a declaration out loud with your mouth and just decide to do something. Deliberation is what just breathes all kinds of anxiety. Now strengthen our hands. Oh, their hands will grow weak and they won't be able to complete the project. And he's like, I know you're trying to frighten us. You're trying to discourage us and dissuade us and demoralize us. I'm asking God to do one thing, strengthen my hands. Now this is interesting because I think it's different than strengthen my heart. Because it's like, God, I don't need a stronger heart. I don't need to worship you in my heart. I know why I'm doing this and I'm worshiping you. This has nothing to do with being spiritual. This has to do with something physical. God, you need to cause your power and worship to flow through and out of my heart to my fingertips so that we can grab those gates, put them on the hinges, and hang them tomorrow. And when I hang them, I got a hankering... I've got a hunch inside my spirit that the minute those suckers are hung, all the noise will go away and we'll just hear your voice again. It's amazing to me when I make a declaration, I decide and then I do it. The noise becomes the voice of God again. He goes on in verse 10. Maybe I like this because I'm a pastor, but maybe, you know, this will do something for you too, but... One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetebel, whatever that, however that's said, who was shut in at his home. And it's not because he was a shut in. I think he literally locked himself into his house. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple or the church. And let's close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. See that fear? Let's just hide in our homes. Let's hide in the church. And I'm so glad there are leaders out there that are like, when that mentality is, it's like the way that you protect yourself in the world is you shelter yourself in your home and you shelter yourself in the church. I want you to know you have come to the wrong church if you've come to hide from the world. We are going out to the world. We rally together. We gain our strength. And we start saying, no, go attack the world with the gospel of his goodness and grace. Don't come here to hide. You will find no solace here if you're trying to hide away from the problems and, and, and the difficulties and the stresses and strains and depression. It's all here. Go out there and tell them about the good news of God's grace. And I love what he said. Verse 11, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. How, how killer is that? I'm just going to say that in my spirit. Should a man like me run away? Have I come this far to stop now? Should we come into this place to save our lives? I will not go. 
We have built the wall. We're this far. We're at the 51st of 52 days. This is not the time to hide. I won't go into church to hide. I'm not going into my house and shutting myself in and locking myself in and hoping it all goes away. I'm inserting myself into life to enact change. In verse 15, it says, so the wall was what? Completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. It's crazy what can happen on the 51st day. I wonder how many of you have just stopped on the 51st day and all you had to do was just pray and have courage for another 24 hours. Because look what happens. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. It's amazing how in one day, all the noise and all the voices and all the anxiety and all the fright and all the fear and all the accusation, all the attack and all the stress and all of the stuff that makes us paranoid, if we will press through that threshold, it in 24 hours goes from be a foreboding presence that's actually frightening to someone that's frightened and has actually lost its confidence. But you got to press through that day. I think it's amazing. I was thinking about it. It didn't hit me till Thursday. But the 51st week is the week that we're in out of this year-long grant. And next week is week 52. And they were in the 51st day. And they were going to try to complete it in 52 days. And I'm just praying in this 52nd week that we've come a long way, but we're not all the way, that we're wanting to press through distractions, intruding voices, doubts, fears, external criticism, internal paralysis to complete the task and hang the dog on gates. And that's gonna be us. And we're gonna say, God, strengthen my hands. I, I need to do something. I need to activate. I don't need just to pray prayers. I need to ask you, God, what do I need to do to do my part to make sure we complete this project? And we're $900,000 away and it feels way further away to me in my psyche than 2.6 million this go around. Because a lot of people have been tapped and are tapped out, right? And so I'm like, what are you going to do, God? Are you going to show up miraculously? So galvanize me in, in a greater way. And, and so next week, I mean, Ryan was saying, we're coming in and we're taking one offering at the end and we're bringing it up and we'll bring our cards. And some of you, this is brand new and you'll be able to pledge for three years and you'll be able to give a one-time gift. Some of you are just gonna be like, I gave a one-time gift, but God has blessed me. I'm gonna give another one-time gift. Some of you are like, I, I gave a one-time gift, but I didn't pledge. I'm gonna pledge this time. All of that is matched. And some of you are just gonna come and say, I gave to all of that and I'm just gonna give my offering next week. And uh, the leadership decided everything, all our ties, all our offerings, all our one-time gifts, all our pledges are coming at one time to sort of converge together so we can hang the dog on gates. Because there are still gaps, and they're called gates. And we're, we're at the 51 mark, and next week we'll be at the 52 mark. And I want to just breathe a sigh of relief after doing great battle together with you and say... It's completed. It's finished. And no matter where we come in, we'll have, with blood, sweat, and tears, guts, just gone out with our hearts doing crazy stuff. So that Jesus is like, I love hanging around crazy Jesus people. 
I want you to stand up and uh, give somebody a high five or a handshake. Just say, God's on the move. And uh, we're going to sing a song. Just give somebody a high five. Wake them up if they're asleep. Slap them in the face. Yeah.